But there's something interesting about the church of Jesus Christ. When people are truly believers in Jesus Christ, when persecution comes, tribulations come, throughout history, the church has always blossomed in some of the hardest areas in our world, in China, in Africa, where tribulation and persecution is abounding toward the churches. The churches are growing. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. I believe there's something more the Lord would have for us today. We're going to look at five verses from 2 Thessalonians this morning. Today we'll be learning about the faith of the believers in Thessalonica, that they were growing in their faith and love, their love was abounding toward one another. It's a great way to describe a fellowship, a fellowship that has a growing faith and an abounding love toward one another. It tells us in many ways that this fellowship of believers in Thessalonica was a very healthy congregation. I believe that a healthy congregation will become a growing congregation, a growing church, And that health comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It comes when the abounding love of Christ is so in us that that love is abounding toward one another. And it is my prayer that we are such a fellowship and that we will continue to become such a fellowship. And so we look to his word this morning in the first five verses, and it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Father, we pray that you would just open your word to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 3, we find that verses 3, 4, and 5, that we have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And I want us to understand as we go through these three verses why we have been counted worthy. Paul's going to begin to talk about what was going on in the church there in Thessalonica. We're going to learn that they're growing in their faith and that their love is abounding toward one another. 
We're going to learn that God is doing such a work in this young church that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are boasting to the other churches about this church. Saying, you guys, if you get a chance, go down and visit that church in Thessalonica and see what God is doing with them. It's wonderful. Not only do they have faith and love, but they also have patience and faith. But their patience and faith is found in persecutions and tribulations. That there was stuff going on in their lives. The church was not only birthed in a time of persecution, but that persecution continues because we find in verse 4 that it's persecutions and tribulations that they were continuing on. They were having stuff going on. And as the stuff is going on in our lives, are we found faithful? Do we have patience and faith? Will we be counted worthy? And we'll find that being counted worthy is not because of only having faith or a growing faith or only having love that's abounding toward others or having that patience and faith in the midst of persecutions, we'll find that being counted worthy is all once again about Jesus. It goes back to being in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And so in verse 3, we see, once again, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. As he continues, he says to them, we thank God for you always. Paul is letting them know that we're praying for you guys. We're praying for you always. Back in the first epistle, we find phrases where Paul is saying day and night. Hey, we've been praying for you guys, not just once in a while, but day and night. They were continually praying for this church there in Thessalonica. God was doing some wonderful things here just through the letter. And we'll also find that there was some stuff going on that needed to be corrected too. But in his introduction, Paul is just beginning to praise them because of the things that they are going through. But he's letting them know we're praying for you guys. Quite too often, we have a mindset, and it's not on purpose, it's just our nature, that out of sight, out of mind. See, Paul and Silas and Timothy set out on a missionary journey, and the purpose was to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to cities and nations that have never heard it before. And as they went forth, people were getting saved. Churches were being birthed in various towns. But as he left each of these cities, he didn't stop praying for them. At one point, Paul talks about all the things that he had, he had been through during these missionary journeys, how he had been shipwrecked a day and a night in the deep or in the sea, how he had been beaten with rods and stoned and in peril of robbers and peril of the seas and peril of his own nation, how he was struggling. And as he adds up all these things that he had been through and all the suffering that he had been through and, and all the things that had come upon him, and he said, above all this, the concern of all the churches of Christ. See, daily Paul had this great burden. He may have had physical things going on and happening to him, but I believe the greatest burden that he had was praying for the churches. And I truly believe that too often we have this out of sight, out of mind, and we stop praying too soon before true victory is established in people's lives. We could look at this church and read some of the things that Paul is saying here and saying, well, we don't need to be praying for them. There's others that we could be praying for. Maybe our prayers could be more effectively working in the lives of others. But 
The Thessalonians needed prayer. They were going through tribulations. They were going through persecutions. But also because, next we see, because your faith grows exceedingly. Hey, their faith was growing. Back in the first epistle, Timothy brought back a good report of their faith. We'd already learned back in chapter 1 of First Thessalonians, verse 3, that they had a work of faith. That in chapter 3, they had a good report of their faith. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 7, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. But he also said to them in verse 10, we want to see you again. And this is where he says, we've been praying day and night exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. They had a work of faith, but they hadn't arrived. And Paul had been praying for them. And then as he closed out in chapter 5, verse 8, he said, put on the breastplate of faith and love, but faith, put it on. And here we find that their faith is growing exceedingly. That means abounding over. And that's great. And also that the love of everyone abounds toward each other. Again, we can look backwards to the, the last letter. And, and we heard about in chapter 1, verse 1, their labor of love. They had a labor of love already. Timothy brought back a good report of their love. These guys are loving on each other in the church. But Paul encouraged them in chapter 3, verse 12, to increase and abound in love to one another and to all. He says, I want to see your love increase and abound. You guys are doing well. I know you can do better. And then finally, he reminded them in chapter 4, verse 9, that we are taught by God to love one another. God becomes our example of love. And as God is our example of love, there's no greater example than Jesus Christ himself. In John 15, 12, he says, This is my commandment, the Lord Jesus speaking, that you love one another as I've loved you. Then he goes on to say, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Christ looking forward to his time on the cross when he would lay down his life. There have been those that have laid down their life, risked their life to show their love for each other. Peter wrote to us in a great reason of having abounding love toward each other. But in 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. See, when you have love, the father to the prodigal he had love for his son. His son was wasting his life, but the love was still there. And the love covers a multitude of sin. And we know that ultimately Christ's love there on the cross and the work that he did, we find that covering. He is our propitiation, according to the word of God. It literally means in the Greek, our covering. Love covers a multitude of sin. It's the love of God the Father toward us, that he was so great that he was willing to give his only begotten son for us as an offering for our sin. And the love of Jesus, so much toward the Father and toward us that he was willing to lay down his life on a hill called Calvary. My question to you, have you received God's abounding love through accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior? And as a believer, if you've already received that love, is your love abounding toward each other and to all? Do you have that abounding love as the church had here in Thessalonica. Their faith was growing, their love abounding. And it was so inspiring that Paul and his friends were boasting about them to the other churches. 
What are they saying about us? Or what would they say? I've heard some boasting about other churches. I don't know if it could be described as boasting. Probably not. Maybe more so gossip. Sometimes it's not too good. Oftentimes, as a pastor and people coming into a fellowship and meeting people, talking to people, they'll talk about their pastor to me. And being a pastor, oftentimes it's like, yeah, I kind of know how that is. You know, it's a difficult place. Pray for them. Are you praying for them? I'll remind them what they're supposed to be doing, praying for their pastor. And sometimes it's the churches. But it's that love that covers a multitude of sin. In verse 4, he says, So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches for your patience and faith in all the, your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Here, we're reminded of how incredible this growth in the church was because they were growing in faith, abounding in love, while they're in the midst of persecutions and tribulations. Where the rubber meets the road, your faith is exposed. There's a lot of people who claim faith in Christ when everything is going just right. Yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus, but when things are seemingly going against you, I don't know. I tried Jesus, but he just didn't work out for me. But you know the heart of a true believer that in the midst of tribulations and persecutions, they're enduring, you know, that man, they have a patience and a faith that's beyond themselves. He said that we're boasting of you because of what you're going through. We're sharing about you because they had patience in the midst of persecution and tribulations. Now, we're not told of the number of persecutions and tribulations that, that the church was going through, but we do know that it's in the plural form. So there was many. We assume that they were ongoing. And they came to a young church, a baby church, less than a year and a half old. The Jews were envious of them, as I had already mentioned. They had caused an uproar in the city. That's how they began as a church. For many of us, that might be how we would end as a church. But there's something interesting about the church of Jesus Christ. When people are truly believers in Jesus Christ, when persecution comes, tribulations come, throughout history, the church has always blossomed. In some of the hardest areas in our world, in China, and Africa, where tribulation and persecution is abounding toward the churches, the churches are growing. As we have messages on the radio station and to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I go through and teach the word of God as it is, there'll be things that, let's admit, that it steps on our toes. It can make us angry. It can make us upset because God calls sin what sin is. And so when we repeat that in church or on the air, People can say, hey, well, that might be sin to you. That may be truth to you, but it's not to me, and I don't want to hear that. We've already got a call last week or last year on our radio station saying that you guys are playing Christian rock, and I don't want to hear that. And I'm thinking, well, don't listen to our station, then turn it off. But she said, I'm calling the FCC, and then didn't leave her name or number. And so I wasn't able to respond back to her, and I, we've had 20 30 calls maybe last year, almost every week for a while, of people saying, great, we love this station, but we had the one saying, we don't, I don't want it. You're, you know, to them, it's deceptive. It's rock music. They turn it on. Well, cool, rock. And then they're singing about love, not bad. And then they find out who that love is. Ooh, they don't like that. Persecution, that's not too bad, but worse could be coming. 
But also, in the midst of that persecution, they had a patience of hope. They were able to endure the persecution because of their hope they had in Jesus. And that's the same way that we can endure. As Kevin was saying earlier, the stuff that we go through in our lives, we endure because of Jesus, because we look forward to the work that not only what Jesus is doing, but what he's going to do, his complete work in our life. We endure because he endured on the cross. As it says in Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy wasn't the cross. It was after what was going to happen because of the work on the cross. He was looking forward to sitting down once again at the right hand of the Father, but also he was looking forward to the redemption that would come to us through his work on the cross. So for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We see that Jesus was willingly able to endure persecutions and tribulations because he was looking forward to his own finished work. And we can endure also because we look forward to that same. They had patience and faith that enabled them to endure. And finally, verse 5, it says, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, which you also suffer, for which you also suffer. Their patience and faith in the midst of persecutions and tribulations are the manifest evidence of the kingdom of God for which you also suffered. He said, manifest evidence of the righteous judgments of God? Question mark, I put there. Their patience and faith in the midst of persecutions and tribulation. Peter wrote to us in 1 Peter 4.14, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of the glory and of God rest upon you. For on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. If you're reproached because of Jesus, Peter said, blessed. Hey, you're blessed. And you think, no, I don't like it. I don't feel blessed. But see, when we have our minds set upon this world, then of course we're not going to feel blessed. But when we have our minds set upon the finished work of Christ and his work, then we're blessed. On their part, they're blaspheming against God. On yours, God is being glorified. The injustice of their persecutions and their tribulations will one day be made evident when God comes to judge this earth in righteousness. He says that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, which you also suffer. Now, their suffering that they endured as believers did not open up to them the kingdom of God or the right to enter the kingdom. That question that you can ask a number of people. If you want to try it today, go out and try it. Pick 10 people and say, are you going to heaven? And if they say yes, ask them why. And the number one answer is because I'm good. Now, some may say because I suffer, so I know I'm going to heaven. But that's not why. It's not goodness. It's not sufferings that we go through. As we learned in a memory verse last year in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. I did that memory verse wrong. So it means that I need to rehearse it. And if you didn't realize I was wrong, it means that you need to rehearse it too. <laughs> Point being, we're saved through faith, not works. So their suffering didn't gain them access to the kingdom of heaven. But the suffering, well, Peter described it this way in 1 Peter 2.19. 
He says, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Then he says, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer and you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his step. So basically, Peter is saying, if you're being punished, if the law is coming down upon you for them being beaten, but if we get a fine, if you're in your car and you're speeding, you get pulled over and it costs you 75 bucks and you were guilty and you take it patiently and say, look at me, I'm paying this $75 because I, you're guilty. It, you're guilty. You're guilty. But if you're being busted by the law because saying Jesus is Lord, and you take it patiently, that's what Peter is saying, then this is commendable before God. But then he says, Jesus is our example, that we should follow in his steps. And he goes on to say, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. How do you respond when somebody comes against you? Hey, Christian, I want to talk to you. My defenses may get up. Yeah, what? How are we going to respond? I remember a phone call years ago. It was a wrong number, and so I don't know why the guy got so mad at me for telling him the person doesn't live here. <laughs> but he started yelling at me and cussing at me because he called my house, and it was a wrong number. And as he's cussing at me, I'm getting madder and madder, and my grip on the phone is getting tighter and tighter, and I'm ready to let him have it. And I said, hey, hey, hey. And he finally shut up and said, what? And I said, Jesus loves you. <laughs> now, that wasn't me because I didn't want to respond that way. But that's how I responded that day. It's an amazing thing because I don't take getting cussed out too well, <laughs> especially when I didn't do anything. I responded in love and it shut him up. Now, if I would have responded back in like or in kind, we could have had a cussing match on the phone, but I don't cuss, so that wasn't going to happen. But I could have shown my anger with other words, and I've done that before. On a job, I ripped into a quality control guy as a brick mason who was just pressuring us one day and making my guys nervous, and he was running off to get a camera. He's going to document what we were doing wrong. And I told my guys, and we were putting this 2,500-pound piece of stone up, and I said, I want this stone in and this scaffold down before that guy comes back with his camera. And he came back with his camera, and the stone was in and the scaffold was down. And when he walked up, I turned on him, and I said, if any of my guys would have got hurt, and I wasn't saying it nicely, I said, it would have been your fault. And I tore into this guy, and he turned to the general contractor and said to him, can you believe how this guy is talking to me? And the guy said, well, I can't really blame him. So he was on my side. But I heard a few months later that I was working at the Navy base and he wanted me banned off the base forever. And so for him, it was a big deal. But the point I want to make in this is that our Irish bricklayer, Chris, he says, I, Johnny, he goes, you get red in the face when you get mad, just like I do. <laughs> that I was just apparently beaming red as I tore into this guy. I had a right, I thought. 
But when we're reviled, how do we respond? When Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. See, the Lord Jesus himself, like, God's going to deal with this one day, but I'm going to go through this for you guys. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live in righteousness, by whom stripes you were healed. For you who are like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Have you returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls? Father, we ask that you would be with us, that you would be with this time. Just want to commit our hearts to you. As Kevin has already said earlier, Lord, he believes that you want to do a work in our hearts today. Perhaps, Lord, you've already done it. And perhaps, Lord, our brothers and sisters want to share with each other that work. And so as Dave comes to close us out in a song, Lord, as we stand before you in prayer, we want to give opportunity for those who perhaps, Lord, are desiring to make a choice to either follow you for the very first time, to give their heart to you as a believer in saving faith, or Lord, to rededicate their life to you, or to just stand there and to say, Lord, I want all that you would have for me. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.